A Swedish woman who went to get a tattoo of her son's name realized that the, the artist had tattooed the word Kelvin instead of Kevin. <laughs> right? Love so it. to fix the situation, she's legally changed her son's <laughs> name to Kelvin. Actually, his name is now just the Chinese symbol for Kelvin, but, yeah, the kid, he was called Kevin, he's, he's now called Kelvin. As in, so what brings you to therapy today, Kelvin? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I also like the Chinese symbol for Kelvin. Kelvin, a perfectly good way to measure temperature. A lot of you are Fahrenheit or Celsius, I'm a Kelvin man. Zero means absolute zero in Kelvin which is minus 486 Fahrenheit, but uh, for Kelvin, it's just zero. Very handy. Um, uh, coming up, what are we, we going to do first? We're going to talk to Emily Baumgartner in a little bit about, uh, so the CRISPR gene editing we've talked a lot about, fantastic breakthrough in science, which could doom humankind. Both things are true. Yeah, <laughs> as people are now able to do it at home, actually edit Human human genes, which is a little troubling. We'll get into that coming up later. Okay, so I've been avoiding this story. I thought it was one of those things that happened in New York and was getting a lot of attention just because it happened in New York. But and maybe that's still true. But you had a guy who uh, who went on a quote racist rant at a restaurant. Who's now it would appear to be out of his job. He's a lawyer, and the internet crashed down upon him because they uh, you're a bad person and we're going to make you pay, which is what the uh, social media does. We, 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 and he might be a bad person, but uh, we really enjoy that. And the social media is picking a person to, ooh, boo, stole him. That's uh, something that happens. So can you set up the scene here before we play the audio? Somebody got out their phone and videotaped this. Yeah, so we're picking up mid-interaction mid between these people, but it is a customer at a kind of Chipotle-style restaurant, it seems, kind of like he's one just, of those fast a, service. He's a lawyer, but for this, he's just a guy at a restaurant. Yes, yes. And uh, the video picks up with him complaining about the, the employees speaking to other customers back and forth in Spanish. As a customer, he's not... He's not the owner. He's not the. He's not just a guy in a restaurant, yeah. and he hears people speaking Spanish. Okay. Clients at your yeah. staff yeah. is speaking Spanish to customers when they no, should be speaking. Being very violent. I mean, sometimes they do. Very yeah. Yeah. Very Every person I listen to, he spoke it. He spoke it. She's speaking it. He's America. They, they, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. He's ignorant. He's ignorant. So. He's very ignorant, and he should, okay. shouldn't be allowed. I will be following up, and my guess is they're not documented. So my next call is to ice pad. Each one of them get out of my country. If they have the balls, can you pause it? Live off. Yeah. So, uh, in case you didn't hear that, because it's AM radio, and you're uh, for some of you, and you're driving under a bridge or whatever. So he threw in, and I don't think they're documented or something. <laughs> is that what he did? Yeah. And furthermore, well, I don't think you're documented. So my well, next call is going to be to ice. All right. Fantastic. Go on. Here we go. The ice pad, each one of them kicked out of my country. If they have the balls to come here and live off of my money, I pay for their welfare, I pay for their ability to be here. The least they can do, the least they can do, is welfare? Yes, place in Midtown Manhattan, your staff should be speaking English, not Spanish. Because the people like you are nation. Honey, I'm calling ice. Maybe you shouldn't eat that sandwich today. Take a break from the food. Maybe you should get hit by the car, you piece of Wow. So was that, maybe you shouldn't eat that sandwich, take a break from the food, a shot at her weight? Yes. Okay. So that was a fat comment. Then she said, maybe you should be hit by a car. I think the conversation is broken down at that point. 
It seemed to. I think the dialogue on racial relations in America is broken down at the point that he says you're fat and she says you should get run over by a car. <laughs> I'm not sure where we're going from from there. Uh, well, I must point out that I, when I'm doing business, when somebody speaks to me in a foreign language, I just I go somewhere else. I will not spend my money at a place where I have to tr- try to figure out what somebody is saying to me. Restaurants aside, because I think it's part of the charming comes with the food. But like if I'm just at a hardware store or whatever, I'm not going to try to figure out what the what the employee is saying to me. I'm going to spend my money somewhere else. I'm with the guy on that. On the other hand, why is he yelling at those people about it? So anyway, the Internet came down on him and now he's been kicked out of the lofts. He showed up. So this this goes viral. Right. Yes. And, and then he's a lawyer and uh, he didn't he didn't realize it went viral. I guess he shows up to court the next day as a lawyer representing a client. And everybody's like, boo, boo, kill him, stone him. Dude, don't you realize you're a pariah? And he's looking around. What, what, what? And uh, colleagues couldn't believe that he actually showed up in public. And now the press, since this is caught on big in New York, he comes out of his uh, apartment complex yesterday and he got the New York Post and the Daily News and everybody yelling questions at him. He pulls an umbrella down over his face, jumps on the phone and calls 911 and asks the police to come help save him from the reporters, which would they said, what do you want us to do? I mean, the reporters can hang out there and yell questions out if you want. So he's become a celebrity of some sorts. A GoFundMe page got started in which they've raised enough money to send a mariachi band to his office. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody actually went to uh, Google, kind of like the Wikipedia uh, pranksterism, where they changed his business. It was no longer a law firm. They changed it to like a Spanish restaurant. Gotcha. So eh, the Internet's doing what the Internet does. So um, uh, you're you're. Up with diversity and everything like that, you uh, you 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 have to come down on this guy and screaming. He's gotten a lot of hate on all his social media, and uh, and it looks like he's going to be suffering for a job. Although this is what I would do if I were him: I would I would take a week's vacation, and nobody will remember this ever happened by Monday, because that's the way the modern news cycle works. It will be completely over; nobody will remember it even existed. If somebody brings it up, they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. Wasn't that like two years ago? Because that's the way all these things work. If you ever get caught up in one of these maelstroms, just lay low for like 48 hours and you'll just be okay. I swear to God. Um, so why, why has this gotten so much attention nationally? Not as much as the royal wedding, but anybody know? No, just because there's racism involved. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Good Morning America, the Today Show. And the CBS early show all led with the royal wedding. All of them. Keep that in mind. We are not a serious country. Megan! They led with the royal wedding. They've got correspondence there there, standing outside Buckingham Palace or whatever it is that you do. And uh, reporting on the royal wedding. So, you know, it's disappointing to be a human. That's what I'm saying. Emily Baumgartner. Of the New York Times coming up on the do-it-yourself gene editing phenomenon. Yeah, you can edit genes in your garage, it turns out. This couldn't go wrong at all. So maybe the most wonderful technology that maybe has ever been discovered by mankind to do away with diseases and birth defects and all kinds of horrifying things is going to be used by evil people to doom the species. We'll learn more about that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Creating human-animal hybrids. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I believe this is, is this the band Tears for Fears? So That's correct. we're doing all British yeah, musicians band. today in honor of the royal wedding that happens in the middle of the night. As I mentioned earlier, I am getting up the entire family. We will be, uh, my wife's wearing a dress, I'm wearing a suit. The kids will be dressed in little, you know, little, like, little short pants and breeches and, you know, little things like, like little British kids would do. And we'll watch the royal wedding on television. While we eat fish and chips and drink bass ale, I guess. Even the children. They're going to have a hard time with the bass ale. Kids don't really like bass ale. It's tradition. (laughs) Drink it. Uh, So welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. We've talked a lot about this CRISPR gene editing technology, getting a lot of attention, and it could be the wonder cure for so many things. Could you do away with birth defects? Could you do away with various things we don't like about our genetics? Because you edit the genes of somebody, and then in future generations, you're editing those genes also. It's really quite amazing. Well, listen to this. This is from a recent article in the New York Times with Emily Baumgartner, who we're about to talk to. Already a research team at the University of Alberta, Canada. you got to keep your eye on Canada. Has recreated from scratch an extinct relative of smallpox. By stitching together fragments of mail order DNA in just six months for about a hundred grand, with no attention from law enforcement officials, so they created an extinct version of smallpox on their own by stuff they ordered through the mail for not a ton of money. And of course, it'll get cheaper and faster as technology gets better. That's a little scary. So, what about the do-it-yourself movement of gene editing as it gets more popular? Let's bring in Emily Baumgartner. Emily, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hi, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You sound very cheery for something that should be so frightening. Should I be afraid or very afraid? You should not be very, very afraid. Absolutely not. I don't think you understand the way talk radio works. You need to explain. So what? let's start from the beginning. What is gene editing, this whole CRISPR technology? Sure. So, so gene editing is sort of this process in which individuals can manipulate the instructions for creating life, right? So DNA is a string. You can picture it kind of like a sentence. And scientists and now hobbyists are sort of trying out this this technique of, of cutting and pasting different words in that sentence to change the meaning within the gene. And do I understand it correctly that it's a it's possible that like if you've got a birth defect that runs through your genetics, you can edit that out and now now your genetic line no longer has that. Well, that's something that scientists are certainly working on. And, and these biohackers that we're looking into, particularly in this story, uh, they haven't, they haven't uh, been able to, to, to reach those capabilities quite yet. They're, they're at this point working on things that are much more basic, basic biological uh, processes that, that would build up to something like that. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's the hope of where we're going, which almost certainly that's where we'll end up. So can they do things like uh, you have blue eyes or that sort of stuff? Biohackers? No, I don't believe so. What, what, so what things can they edit? What, what can be done at this point? So at this point, what they're doing is they are uh, manipulating some of the physical features, right? So, so in some of these community labs, for example, they're working on uh, making algae grow green or, or changing uh, potatoes to see if they can get a potato to actually grow blue, change the color of it. Boy, wouldn't it be uh, a great so, world if we had blue potatoes? Wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> I think well, it'd be great. Well, I, I, I assume that's an experiment. <laughs> B- 
Blue mashed potatoes again tonight, kids. Uh, it would be, well, that that's cool. But so with the idea that they can then what with, with potatoes, for instance? That sort of thing is, is just for fun. I mean, folks in these labs are, are you know, the vast majority of them uh, from, our, from our reporting are working on things. They'd like to build up to something that is, you, you know, helpful to the human race, such as working on cancer research, et cetera. The idea behind this movement is sort, it's sort of a culture movement that you don't need to go spend $200,000 on, on an education in, in a formal academic setting to learn some of these techniques that are ultimately going to benefit humans in the long run. Well, you said, and I'm, I'm joking about this, I don't want to make it more scary than it actually is or anything, but you said that we shouldn't be scared. How is this not going to fall into the hands of people who, who want to do bad stuff? It's, it's going to, isn't it? Well, you know, that is the opinion of many. Many many say that, that you know, anything that can be used for good can also be used for evil. We, we've seen that with many technologies in the past. And, and what is realistic here is that the regulatory framework in which these biohackers, so-called biohackers, are working in, it is it is a dated framework. Um, it, it was built upon uh, pretty old technology. Many of the the abilities that are now in the hands of the general public, um, they just aren't aren't being regulated very closely. And so they do rely on sort of communities of biohackers to detect any kind of malice within their midst and to report that to, to authorities such as the FBI and other agencies who are involved here. But indeed, you know, there is. There is some concern that in the long run we could see uh, one or two folks uh, out of a mix of 100 who, who don't have such great intentions. Well, our joke always is, although it's not really a joke, I think it will happen. Won't the Chinese or the North Koreans or the Russians or whoever be able to breed armies of seven-foot-tall, very strong uh, 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 humans that are impervious to disease? Won't, won't that sort of thing be possible? Well, you know, there's a whole there's a whole mix of different reports out there on, on what biological weapons programs do exist in other states. Um, I'm not so sure about the state of that. I don't know when to, how soon that would be coming, but I do think um, certainly June. I'm guessing. Something, sorry, nothing. Um, you're <laughs> guessing what? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I, I do think that that um, some of these. Some of these threats are not so much just internally, you know, domestically from from hobbyists, but also I think authorities are, are have been looking a lot at some of the the um, terrorist groups and states um, outside of the U.S. that that could be interested in these sorts of capabilities. You know, we talk a ton about nuclear threats and chemical threats, such as what we've seen in Syria, but we haven't talked a lot about biological threats and uh, some fear that that it's going to sneak up on us. Oh God, I think so. I, I think this has got. Absolutely, the possibility be, to be as devastating to uh, to to mankind as uh, as thermonuclear weapons um, as we get farther down the road and it gets into the wrong hands, which it inevitably will. I, I hope I hope nobody in charge of this is so naive to think that bad people won't use this for bad things. Um, that, that's the history of all technology. Um, your story. And, and go ahead. I would just also add that that there are some. Um, difficult elements surrounding sort of this biological realm that are different than others. So, for example, a nuclear plant, a a nuclear processing plant, you're going to be able to see what's going on there pretty easily. But in a biological setting, I mean, someone who's working on a biological weapon, it's going to look a lot like a cancer lab. Um, And so it it certainly is difficult to detect malice in this area. Wow. Boy, there's a good point right there. So you don't need to, uh, I mean, and Iran and North Korea have been pretty good at hiding 
things that are difficult to hide, like labs for building uh, atomic weapons. There'll be there'll be no way you can detect whether the Russians or the Chinese are are are, are coming up with some heinous disease in a in a it lab. It just looked like a hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. It, it would look difficult, sure. On the particular uh, example you used in in your story in the New York Times, which we've got a link to, and it's really interesting if you're into this sort of stuff, the um, the people up there in Canada, boy, keep your eye on Canada, uh, <laughs> that, that came up with the extinct smallpox for not a lot of money and just ordered the stuff they needed through the mail. What about that? Isn't that troubling? Well, I want to point out first and foremost, they, they, what they synthesized was horsepox. So, so it, it is a relative of smallpox, but it is not smallpox. And it's important to note because horsepox in itself is not infectious among, among humans. Um, it is in, it is quite similar to smallpox in terms of the difficulty of sequencing something like that. So, you know, many people do ask if scientists could piece together horsepox for a relatively low budget, small team, short time frame, could they do that with smallpox? And scientifically, sure, they could. It's a similar process. In terms of regulations and technical difficulty, it's a little bit more difficult. You know, a lot of people would who who are experts in this, I I know George Church at Harvard talks about this, and we included that a bit in the article. Um, It's more likely that someone's going to be practical and is going to use something that you'd already see in nature. So not an extinct virus, but perhaps anthrax. Anthrax is, is... exists in nature, and, and you can weaponize it using synthetic biology. You can edit that gene and some of the genes in there to to make it uh, more harmful. And that's, that's probably a more practical approach if someone had, had a, a, a negative intent. So somebody than, could make than, more harmful anthrax in a, in a small lab outside of detection from anybody. That's, that, that's, that's a problem. You can't. You can manipulate. Um, I shouldn't say you or me, but some some people do have the capabilities to manipulate genes in ways that that, as you mentioned, in the I can't even show. change a tire, Emily. I'm not going to be uh, making smallpox or anthrax in my garage. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. But yeah, I mean, you can make you can make your genetic code have really positive qualities, and you can also have yeah. you know create negative qualities. Interesting article, Emily Baumgartner of the uh, New York Times. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, now, she's a very smart person and knows more about this than I do. I'll tell you one thing I do think maybe I know more than her about yes. is human nature and evil people. And and her idea that, well, to do smallpox, there are many regulations. Who cares? The bad guys do not care about what regulations exist for stopping you from creating smallpox. If it can be done, it will be done. Chinese, North Koreans are just, you know... The infamous 400-pound fat guy sitting on his couch. Wow. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Trump not letting up about a spy in his 2016 presidential campaign. And we've got a Russia investigation FBI fun fact coming up. Minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. (laughs) Awesome. All on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC, the Armstrong and Getty Show. Our reporter mentioned the possibility of blue potatoes, and I, I mocked that. But executive producer Hanson points out for kids, you might get them eating potatoes. Make pink potatoes for little girls and green potatoes for little boys. Boy, if you could make camouflage potatoes, that's what my yeah. boys would like. There Are potatoes go. a thing that kids have trouble you getting them to eat? That seems kids like an easy sell. Fre- kids have trouble eating freaking anything that's not candy, ah, in my experience. Because <laughs> adults always put their seasonings and stuff on it. Just give them some bland potatoes with ketchup. They'll eat it. I've often said to my kids, what do you mean you don't like macaroni and cheese? Every kid likes macaroni and cheese. 
What are you doing not eating macaroni and cheese? Wow. Why do I sound like Seinfeld when I talk to my children? <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> Let's get to the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, President Trump is continuing to suggest that the Justice Department spied on his 2016 campaign. Now quoting Fox Business News anchor David Asman, who said, Apparently the DOJ put a spy in the Trump campaign. This has never been done before, and by any means necessary, they are out to frame Donald Trump for crimes he did not commit. Who said that? David Asper with Fox Business News. Okay. Later, the president weighed in again, tweeting, Reports are there was indeed at least one FBI representative implanted for political purposes into my campaign for president. It took place very early on and long before the phony Russian hoax became a hot fake news story. If true... All-time biggest political scandal, exclamation point. It could be pretty big if that's what happened. And, uh, you know, I assume Mueller's going to get to the bottom of this. As we've been saying all week long, we could find out that Trump and the FBI did awful things, that neither of them did awful things. Who knows? I don't have any idea how this is going to turn out. I heard a funny term on MSNBC, though, that they invented. You know, they hate Trump all day long, every day, and they constantly... They constantly talk in tones like this. We just these are just times when we need to pull together and see if we can get through this before the country is destroyed. They talk like that all day long. <laughs> like like, you know, it's all falling apart right. any second. But they came up with the term it was over this whole did they collude or not? Well, so so Don Trump Jr. gets to the meeting and it's about adoptions and he gets out of there. Well, maybe they didn't collude, but they're collusion curious, which is a funny <laughs> term. They're collusion curious. Like, by curious, you get it? Uh, they wanted to, or they thought they were kind of interested in it, but they weren't sure. <laughs> Showed up to the party, had a, had a glass of wine, decided, oh, no, you know, not for me. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go ahead and go. <laughs> I Meanwhile, here is an FBI investigation fun fact. The secret investigation into Russian collusion was reportedly named after the opening lyric of the Rolling Stones 1968 single, Jumpin' Jack Flash. The FBI named the investigation Crossfire Hurricane. The song begins. Yeah, I um, I read that article. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty damned interesting about the, how the whole thing started. I assumed yeah. it came from the Rolling Stone song, but anyway, yeah, Crossfire Hurricane was the the name of yeah. the project at the beginning, which the FBI kept secret. From yes. other people in the Justice Department, because they didn't want it to leak out that they were investigating Trump, because they thought that would damage him politically. So that's actually, you know, one on the side of trying to protect Trump. The investigation was opened 100 days before the 2016 election. The name initially used by the group of five agents who went to London to interview the Australian ambassador to the UK who claimed to have evidence of Illusion. And they were the only five agents that were aware that this was going on. They yep. kept it secret from a lot of people they don't normally keep it secret yep. from because they didn't want this to leak out in, you know, until they knew anything bad had happened uh-huh. because politically it'd be so damaging. So that was the FBI doing the right thing. You, you can't complain about that. Officials on Hawaii's Big Island are warning there could be more powerful explosions from the Kilauea volcano. An eruption sent Nash Cloud 30,000 feet into the air yesterday. Officials are now warning of more powerful eruptions as the molten lava meets groundwater. The sound of some of those bursts. There you go. That's the sound of the lava explosions. 
pretty dramatic stuff going on. Yeah. I'd like to see that. But it's some of the most amazing video that I've yeah, seen yeah. in a long time yeah. are these things of the, the volcanoes in Hawaii. I can't imagine on. what that looks like in person, although can you enjoy it without the, is this about to blow and kill me? Right. The yeah. other thing I want to know is how, what is like the, the heat radius of that? Like how close do you have to be in order to feel like... I would think rock that w- that's 2,000 degrees right. would be pretty hot from uh, pretty far away. I feel like it would be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now... At midday tomorrow, His Highness the Prince Harry will wed Miss Meghan Markle in the royal peculiar of St. George's Chapel. Well, the big question is, who will give Meghan away? (laughs) Well, we have learned... Is that the big question? Yes, we have learned this morning, Meghan Markle will make a statement. She'll walk halfway down the aisle by herself... And then be joined by her future father-in-law, Prince Charles. He will escort her to the altar. Do I understand she has a tattoo? She may have a tattoo. I believe that's the first time that's happened in royal uh, royal history also. the uh, Her father, Thomas Markle, had to bow out because of health problems. So Meghan asked Charles to give her away, and he said yes. Meanwhile, the town crier we've been hearing, her, hearing from was overcome by this news. I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea. I'm, I was quite shocked and stunned and delighted for them. That's a wonderful thing. Shocked, <laughs> stunned, and delighted. That's <laughs> where I was on my honeymoon. When was the last time he thought it was a bad idea, something the royal family did? That's what I would like to know. Is the royal crier? Yeah. yeah. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. <laughs> the Armstrong and Getty Show. The conscience of the nation. I think that idea sucks. You know, you're not going to say that as the official royal crier. <laughs> Are they even paying attention to what the average Londoner is going through? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Prince Charles uh, participated in a fairly well-publicized royal wedding himself back in the day. Things did not turn out well for him. All the way around. Uh, so we're going to talk to Matt Zapatoski. So we start year two of the Mueller investigation today. What comes next? How it could end? We'll go through some of those scenarios. I've got a woman who worked at a convenience store who was pre-scratching lottery tickets before she sold them. So she, she would, get this, she would keep the winners and sell the losers. What? Huh? You hear this, Marshall? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Music on this, the eve of the royal wedding, because we definitely have royal fever around here, don't we, huh? Who's not excited? Right. Me too. Megan! <sighs> Marrying Prince Harry. So we'd like to welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, a regular Matt Zapatoski, the national security reporter from the Washington Post. Um, the Mueller investigation enters year two today, which is very exciting, isn't it, Matt? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's exciting. It's been a year. The, the amount of time we and everybody else have talked about something that we know practically nothing about is really interesting. 
Well, I would dispute that we know practically nothing about it. I think we we don't have a good answer to whether the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia to influence the 2016 election, but we have a lot of sort of hints on that front via guilty pleas from George Papadopoulos and Mike Flynn, and we know a lot about Paul Manafort's alleged misdeeds sort of months before the campaign. We know a lot about the work Mueller has done, but he has been remarkably secret about other topics, and I don't know that we have a great sense of of where it's going to go in year two. I just find it hard to believe that if there were some big bombshell, it wouldn't have leaked out, as leaky as everything has been. I don't know. Mueller has run a pretty tight ship, and I think you can even see that in the questions that he wanted to um, ask President Trump, if President Trump were willing to sit down for an interview. As I understand it, the special counsel team would only provide those verbally, wouldn't put them down in writing. Now, part of that, of course, is they don't want to be sort of boxed in to these are the questions can't go beyond. But another part, as I understand it, is they didn't want, you know, the possibility of them leaking. Of course, the president's lawyers just wrote them down, and eventually they did make their way out. But, you know, I think there is a lot we don't know. Mueller has operated with some secrecy. We learned, you know, this month about some of Michael Cohen's outreach to um, major companies and money he got from major companies. Mueller apparently knew that months ago, and we didn't. So, wouldn't be surprised if Mueller knows a lot still that we don't. Oh, yeah, and uh, as far as when it ends, it could end, I suppose it couldn't end tomorrow, because we assume he needs to talk to the president first, but it could end soon or not for two years. I do think the fact that he is angling for an interview with the president suggests that we must be nearing the end, at least of that portion of it, at least the portion that touches the president. But there are some tentacles here that we know are going to go on longer, right? I mean, Paul Manafort has a trial that isn't scheduled for the fall. So, you know, while there are some signs that maybe we're coming to a climax, there are other signs that this could go on a lot longer. And a year for a complicated, you know, counterintelligence and white collar investigation is really not all that long. Now, some of the work was done before Mueller was appointed, but really he's done a lot in the year. What's interesting to me is um, this is a TV show. The whole Trump thing is a TV show for a lot of America, and we don't like uh, TV shows with hard-to-follow plots that don't have a payoff, and I think that's why the support for the Mueller probe is dropping little by little, and that seems to be a strategy, I think, by the Trump team you know, you keep you keep bad mouth in the report. You talk about how long it's gone and maybe you can get support for the Mueller probe down below 50 percent. And that helps you a lot politically. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to Robert Ray, who was an independent counsel at the end of the Whitewater investigation, the, the, the Bill Clinton uh, investigation. And he said, look, in, in his view, you probably have about 18 to 24 months before, before the public says really- enough already. Yeah, before the before the public has heard enough, and President Trump's attacks on the Mueller probe probably do accelerate that. I mean, if every day he says no coordination or no collusion, no obstruction, and every day we don't learn anything on that topic, that does sort of maybe help explain why you've seen ever so slightly public support drop for Mueller. It's there's still a majority of Americans supported, but oh, yeah. you have seen some drops recently, and particularly among Republicans, you've seen some drops. Um, I was going to mention that Trump and Mueller's. Are- Hold the body to this and that is obstruction that. Um, is it true? I heard somebody report that they, they claim they had a source, whether they do or not, that that Mueller would not drop this thing, even if he wrapped it up before the midterm elections, for instance, because he wouldn't want to get, you know, be involved in that. 
Well, here's what's true about that. I think everybody in the Justice Department expects that Mueller will not take overt steps close to the election. What exactly that time period is, I don't know, but there's this long-standing Justice Department tradition that you don't take steps in an investigation that could affect an election. You don't call a press conference 10 days before uh, (laughs) the presidential election? I think that has only reinforced these <laughs> long-standing traditions. So, you know, I don't think Mueller is looking at what Jim Comey did and think, "Wow, that's a, that's a great model for me." I think he is he is going to uh, go dark, as they say. That's not to say he's not going to do anything. He will do things that he has reasonable confidence won't become public. But I don't think you'll see him, you know, kicking in uh, Jared Kushner's door, you know, two weeks before the, <laughs> the election. We're talking to Matt Zapatoski of the Washington Post. So Trump's uh, tweet yesterday about a mole in the campaign and everything, is that getting much attention? I I think that is getting some attention. Obviously, Um, that would be a big deal if that had happened. I think there's just a lot of questions we still have to answer on that. So, look, we reported that um, that a, a longtime source of the FBI was used um, in the Russia probe. We reported that last week. It's really sort of caught fire this week. But there is quite a lot we don't understand about that, and the devil is in the details. Look, the FBI, of course, uses confidential sources, and it, it wouldn't be unheard of if they had a predicated investigation. It wouldn't be inappropriate if they had a predicated investigation to be using confidential sources, but I think we have a lot of questions to answer about how exactly this source was used and, and what they did and what information they communicated. But, you know, this seems to be the latest line of attack from the president and his allies, so um, it's important to get to the bottom of. Yeah, my theory is it wouldn't surprise me if the FBI did something that they wouldn't normally do because they thought there's no way Trump's going to win. That wasn't even on the radar that Trump's going to win. We just want to know what this this clown operation is up to. That thinking, I think, unfortunately, seemed to pervade uh, both the Hillary Clinton investigation right. and and maybe right. this. You see it in the text between Lisa Page and, and Pete Strzok about an insurance policy. You've seen it in some interviews Jim Comey and others have given about this thought that the FBI sort of you know figured Hillary Clinton would win. And I mean, it just shows the danger of of what happens when that kind of thinking pervades investigations. Yeah. They should they can't be sort of unaware of politics, but they shouldn't be thinking of it like that. No. No, that, that that you know. Hopefully, that will not happen in any of our lifetimes again. Where there are all these assumptions made about who's going to win, and then you know whether whether it's how they report stories or whether the how the Justice Department handles it. We don't do anything on assumptions of who's going to win because that's a bad idea. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the FBI also probably isn't the best at this. I mean, these are law enforcement guys. Uh, they're not political analysts. And even political analysts, as we've, as we've seen, were, were sort of wrong about the last election. Well, I think your uh, competitor to the New York Times is way out of bounds with their whole 90% likely this candidate's going to win stuff. That, that's not good for journalism, is it? Come on now. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to comment on what the New York Times does. I'll just stick to what we have done. Yeah. Well, I don't think your newspaper would do that because you're better than them, right? <laughs> you're not going to be drug uh, into this? <laughs> I think yeah. I'm going to steer clear of all. Yeah, of no, it's Friday morning. I feel like making mischief for some reason. <laughs> um, okay, so that's where we are. Well, certainly the, the Trump thing, if there turns out there was a mole in the campaign that the FBI placed there, that's going to be a freaking huge story. So we'll be following that and probably have you on about that in the future. Uh, I guess we'll see. You betcha. Matt Zapatoski, Washington Post National Security Reporter. Thanks for your time, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. So here's the thing. One thing we got to work out on the Armstrong and Getty show today is uh, the last half hour of the program, 
The inmates will run the asylum. We've got on the schedule. Hanson wrote on the schedule mayhem because I have to leave at Ooh, nine. Did we bump chaos? I thought it was going to be chaos. <laughs> I have to leave at nine thirty. Uh, and if it were if it were anything other than this, I would have canceled it or rearranged it. But it's a doctor's appointment for our our youngest with a psychiatrist. An appointment we've been trying to get into for three months, and are hanging a lot of hope on. And uh, there's no way we're going to mi- uh, miss this with the with our uh, little one going in. So um, I have to leave at nine thirty, which means that Sean and Michael and Marshall and Hanson are going to be running the show the last half hour and. Uh, and it could be the end of the Armstrong and Getty show. It could be the end of things as we know it. Oh, we're going to be taking phone calls. We're going to give a prize out to caller number 11. Taking phone calls and giving out prizes. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I want uh, I want an abortion, yes or no. But only prizes <laughs> only if you can stump the stoop. You ask us a question. If it stumps us, you get the prize. <laughs> Finally, we get into grandparents' visitation rights. Some of the some of the you know complicated questions of our time. And so hopefully you'll be able to handle that. I'll be listening in the car and probably sweating and cringing. There's a <laughs> 5 to 12% chance it just turns into me doing music radio and talking up records. I don't know yet. I mean, anything could happen. Eight country favorites in a row wouldn't do much damage, I'll tell you that. Seven songs, super set. Uh, oh, it's, it's almost dang near 8 o'clock. Yeah, so uh, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show, our weekly with the Knife Media, Jen's Eric Gold. Who was uh, spinning what story at why? I always like taking a look at that. That's coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.